Hey, welcome to Recharting Your Life with Hope. I'm Hope Cook, creator and host. If you feel stuck, restless, overwhelmed, or dissatisfied with your current life, despite your life looking pretty good on paper, or at least on social media, I can totally relate. Together, we'll figure out how to take the next right step. I'll interview women who are a little farther along on the path and get tips and ideas from them. I definitely don't have it figured out, so I'll share the ups and downs of my own journey with you. Let's get started because life is too short to waste in autopilot. If you want to be the best possible version of you, you're in the right place. Hello, everybody. Today I have Kathy Payne. Kathy is another local lady, and I was fascinated with her journey. When I first met her, she was telling me about a book she wrote, and it's it became a bestseller, and it's about a topic that she previously did not know a lot about, nor did I. Since then, I've learned little bits and pieces about her journey, but today we get to hear the whole story, and she's had some cool life experiences that I think would be beneficial for all of us to hear. Welcome, Kathy. Good morning. How are you today, Hope? Doing great. I'm so excited you joined me. I'm so glad to be here. I do want to say I wouldn't call my book a bestseller, but it is an award-winning book. Okay. Well, yes, (laughs) award-winning. That's still really good. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, so tell us about your journey. I know you wanted to start back when you were a teenager. Yes, I'm, I'm, I was interested in sharing my journey because I'm going to be 70 in a couple of years. And so I have maybe more life experience than some of your listeners, because I know you're kind of gearing to people maybe under 30 or under 40. Nah, it could be any age. But yeah, I'm 43. So I think somewhere around here, older, younger. <laughs> right. But it's good to have perspective. And as I reflected getting ready for this podcast interview, recharting my life, <laughs> I remember when I was charting my life and I recharted it probably several times. And it seemed to go in increments of 10. Uh, my dad change careers every 10 years in some form or another. So maybe I got that from him. No, I think it does. I think every 10 years, it's good to kind of reinvent, rewrite the story. And it's good to think that whatever you're going through now, it's going to change. And you have a lot of control over how that changes. Mm -hmm. And you don't know it in your teens, you know, and you break up your with your first boyfriend or girlfriend, it's the end of the world. And your yeah. parents tell you it's not, but you don't believe it because mm-hmm. you're ready for that. So I, I just wanted to share some of my journey and different things impacted me at different ages in different ways. And so I will start when I was about nine or 10 years old and living in Minnesota. And my father was traveling a lot and I didn't realize, but in the summers we went on camping trips and the reason we went on the camping trips was so that my mom and dad wouldn't be separated and and he Uh. could still see his kids and then he would go off and do whatever he was doing but we would be camping somewhere nearby and 
you know, you just don't think about things like that. Dad goes to work, you know, wherever you are, dad goes to work. No, I like that. And we were talking about how kids have no, um, they just have no idea how much trouble it is to like organize a camping trip and do all this. But it sounds like your parents were, they were very resourceful. They wanted your dad to be able to see y'all and spend time together. So they did it. And all you remember is, yeah, we went camping. It was fun. <laughs> right. So we spent our summers camping, portaging, which is when you pick up a canoe and you carry it on your backs and you go across the land to another place where the river is. And I was really interested in, in nature. I liked um, catching butterflies and I was very fascinated with monarch butterflies. Yeah. So we had butterfly weed growing around the house, whatever kind they have up in Minnesota. And I would capture them and bring them into my house with the plant. You know, I'd capture the caterpillars and feed them and then watch them build a chrysalis and hatch out and fly around my bedroom. So that's a really favorite childhood memory. And I loved animals. We had a pet raccoon. We had a couple of pet raccoons. Wow, a pet raccoon. pet raccoon. Sounds dangerous. (laughs) Yeah. I wouldn't do it today, but you know, it was an innocent time back in the 50s. And then in fourth grade, my family vet came to our class for queer day and we respected him. He took care of our cats, Midnight and Candy and our, our Beagle Flaps. So he got up there and, and asked who wants to be a vet. And, you know, I raised my hand and, and he told the class that Girls have no business going to vet school. They're just going to get married and have kids. Can't handle the big animals like the cows or the horses. OMG, that is terrible. So at that point, I decided, well, you know, women are nurses, teachers, and secretaries. That's right. (laughs) You had three options. So... It sounds really lame today, but back then, I just didn't question things. No, I remember role models for us. No, on career day, I remember they. We well, I don't know if it was career day, but we had healthcare day or something, and all the girls got a little white nurse's hat, like you know they folded it and made it out of paper or something. But all the girls got that. All the boys got this band that went around their head with the light, like the doctors would wear. And that's, I know that's just terrible that they were categorizing us even in the 70s. Wow. So I started looking elsewhere and I decided, well, I was really interested in deaf and blind populations because my grandparents in Illinois lived in Jacksonville. They had a school for the deaf and a school for the blind. And my mother met Helen Keller when she oh, was wow. a teenager heard her speak because she came there to speak and so it was I, I was really fascinated with those books yeah. and that topic but when then we moved to Athens Georgia my senior year of high school and they didn't have those programs except at the graduate level at UGA and my parents said well, we can only afford to send you to local school so you're going to UGA if you're going to college so it wasn't a given that I was going to college but I wanted to so I got into special education yeah and and eventually became um elementary school 
teacher, but I married at the age of 19. Mm. I was really being kind of a rebellious child because I didn't like being moved my senior year of high school. <laughs> and picked somebody who was totally probably unsuitable. During that marriage, it lasted for nine years and, and gave me my wonderful son, who's, uh, who's the light of my life. But I read a book called Passages by Gail Sheehy. That's spelled S-H-E-E-H-Y. Uh-huh. When I was about 26 years old, I read that book. And it's about stages of adult life. And that book was from the 20s to the 50s. You know, what do you do at this decade and what do you do at that decade uh-huh. and each decade had their own path and that really kind of lit a fire under me because I had studied child development and I minored in it in my undergraduate and the I guess the section about the trying 20s it kind of urged me to change and realize that things don't have to be static and mm-hmm. That was the first time I read it. And so I, I did get a divorce mainly because my husband wasn't supporting my son. And we were, you know, gosh, in elementary teaching in Hall County, Georgia at that time paid $6,000 a year. Wow. Yeah. And that wasn't much to support a family. That's like poverty. <laughs> yeah. If my husband wasn't pitching in. So that was the trying 20s for me. And then I kind of faltered in my 30s. I I stayed in special education. I worked hard. Um, I remarried and moved and divorced. And that was a situation where um, my husband just walked out and married somebody that was about 12 years younger than me. Wow. And it was, it was hard. I went through a lot of stress. And when I went through all that stress, I became, I started breaking out in hives. Yes. Acid reflux. And I was all splotchy. You know that you're. (laughs) No, I love your, I love that you're saying this. We see so many physical manifestations of stress and emotional turmoil. Yes. And so I started exploring <clears throat> food sensitivities and did an elimination diet. I got mm-hmm. a book out of the library and did an elimination diet. And I realized that there were certain things that my body was definitely reacting to. Mm-hmm. And then I met my current husband and it's, it was funny. The hives went away like within <laughs> two weeks. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so I'm married again at 40. And at that time, Gail Sheehy had written a second book, Mapping Your New New Passages, Mapping Your Life Across Time. And there she extended her model to the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Just in time, right? Right. (laughs) Well, Kathy, when you were in your 30s and you were going through all this, the divorce and trying to figure it out, the hives, did you feel like you were sort of in a rut? Did you feel like you were um, 
I don't know, I guess, were you awake? Did you sort of look around you and know that you had control over your life or did you feel like life was happening to you? Well, after the first divorce, I felt like I was in control because it was a decision I made. In the 30s, it was a little harder because I didn't see it coming. Yeah. And I was not self-aware enough. And so that was that was a hard time. I think that's when that stress came out. But then I saw there were different ways to be. Mm-hmm. And so that was a big that was a big help. And then I lost I lost my father, and my husband lost his father during mm-hmm. that period. Um, I ended up in the forties caring for my mother for a time. Yeah, and, you get a new chapter where you're taking care of your parents and mm-hmm. Yeah, my son was growing up, but and my eldest brother passed away unexpectedly at age 54. So, wow. so there were just there were a lot of other stresses there, but I was learning to cope and learning to deal with them somewhat. Mm-hmm. And then the 50s came. <laughs> and I feel like for me, in the 50s, I had a spiritual awakening. Yeah, and, tell me about that. Well, I started listening to different audiobooks. Remember cassette tapes? Yeah. I'd sew a lot, and I'd listen to my cassette tapes, and I listened to Wayne Dyer. Yeah. And Deepak Chopra mm-hmm. and different people. And one day I heard that. Wayne Dyer was coming to the Atlanta area so I went to a church it was called Unity North Atlanta Church and I heard Wayne Dyer speak and they had wonderful music it was just a really nice event and I thought wow this is a really different church they have different kinds of programs here and so I actually started going to a, a group. I mean, I had to drive an hour and a half to go there, but I started meeting people and learning some of their principles and uh, learning about positive affirmations and affirmative prayer and joined the church. And it just, it made a big difference in my life because it gave me strategies. So then mm-hmm. when I was going through stress and wanting to make a change in my life that actually I could make it happen. Mm-hmm. I think that's cool too, that you found your tribe. You found people who you wanted to be more like and who were thinking more like you were thinking. And when you surround yourself with people like that, you grow in new ways. Yes. And, you know, there's a saying that when, when you look at things differently the things you look at change mm-hmm. and that is just so true and so I started imagining my life the way it could be mm-hmm. and working toward that you were still working Kathy as I was a teacher? still working mm-hmm. okay still specialized teaching oh and it, when I was I guess when I was 40 I also started working on an advanced degree. I'd already gotten a bachelor's and a master's degree in special education. And I wanted to get, it was a transitional degree, specialist degree in reading education. Uh And then once I started 
going for that, I had some other stressful things at the school. I had a, a principal who was very domineering. And she got very upset with me because my students were making progress and making games in their reading to the point that they didn't need special education anymore. Ah. And she was cussing me out for dismissing children from the program. Oh, wow. And I said, well, I thought that was my job. And she did not like that answer. Yeah. <laughs> so at that point, I decided, well, I'm going to switch gears since I've got this I've started on this specialist degree in reading education. I'll become a reading specialist. And then nobody can ever tell me not to teach kids how to read. Yeah. She thought I should teach coping skills instead. So I did that. And when I started taking those classes, I had more than one professor assumed that I was a doctoral student because doctoral students and masters and specialists would all be in the same class. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, maybe they're seeing something I don't see. Yeah. And so I started hanging out with the, the doctoral students and then I switched over to a doctoral major. Good for you. And that was a big change. It did take a lot of time and, and it was not easy. Uh, learning how to write was a lot of it because mm-hmm. you have a doctoral committee and they're all reading drafts of what you do and um, wow so that took me seven years I was never a full well no I was never a full-time doctorate student except I think for no I was never full-time I was either part-time or part-time teaching or full-time teaching the whole time that I was taking those classes. Yeah. So you're still working. Were you still working under that, that particular principal? No, I left that school to take a, you know, my excuse to get out was to take another job in the school system at another school that was a half-time reading specialist job. Okay. Yeah. Did you feel like you were so free when you left that school? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I, I, worried about you know oh I'm gonna have less money but you know something always comes along yeah and sometimes things like that happen and people conflict comes into your life and it forces you to pivot and grow in a new direction absolutely so you remember that I was kind of into the uh, elimination diets and healthy eating and my husband and I were trying to eat healthy but then he had a heart attack and got, he got more serious about getting on the bandwagon. And every so once in a while, I do a detox or um, elimination diet and say, you want to join me? And I said, no, no, no. But this time he said, yes. Yeah. So that and was his conflict. What's yes. the, yeah. And that was in 2008 and podcasts had just come out. Mm-hmm. And what were the little gadgets that everybody listened to? iPods. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he told me I should have an iPod and then I could listen to podcasts. And I didn't know what an iPod was or what a podcast <laughs> was. So I said, okay. <laughs> so he got me one for Valentine's Day. And then it didn't work well for me. It wasn't very intuitive. So he said, Well, I know. We'll go to the Apple store and, and we'll get 
the, a real iPod. You know, it was some kind of generic iPod. And then I saw the iPhones that <laughs> were saying, well, you can get the iPhone. It has an iPod inside of it. That's and right. All I had was a little flip phone. I thought, oh, I could get a new phone and it would have an iPod. So yeah. I was an early adopter yes. of iPhones and who knew? And then my husband was really into the, the podcasting and the technology of it. So he said, you know, I think I'd really like to do a podcast. Oh. And he said, we've been trying to eat naturally and buy from local farmers. Maybe we could do something like about that. Yeah. So I was just like, yes, because I, I was thinking of all the ways that I could do these um, topics about healthy eating from local farms my husband would be there doing the technical stuff and he'd have to actually listen to that podcast yes. <laughs> and so we became very uh, involved in you know talking to local farmers talking to people who'd written books it got to where we're, we were getting free books in the mail with people that wanted to be on our podcast and it doesn't exist anymore it's not out there but it was called our natural life uh-huh. And Kathy, and, you were you were doing it on location, right? You didn't have Zoom technology back then. No, we did it, I guess, just on the phone or he, he had, we used headphones. That's about all I remember. But we were doing it in an upstairs office. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Just at home. And then, uh, no, we weren't like talking to people in person. Okay. Yeah. Eventually, we did some Skyping and so forth. I guess we did a lot of Skype mm -hmm. for the overseas and, and the uh, long distance. So your husband's getting an education on healthy local eating. Yes, and we joined George Organics and started feeding birds and just some different kind of things than we had been doing. We're still working our full-time job, and he's working in the business career world and traveling to China for a month at a two at a time wow. but we tried to have this podcast I think it was once a week we did uh -huh. it on a weekly basis and we ended up doing 76 episodes all together a lot yeah so then we we got so into that and things were getting stressful at work for me I didn't like the junk food and the candy that teachers and lunchroom ladies were serving to the kids mm -hmm. and I'm working with special ed kids who are bouncing off the walls and it's no wonder because they're eating white flour and sugar and chocolate milk oh my gosh don't get me started <laughs> <laughs> so that summer I guess of 2009 I didn't have the excitement to go back to school in the fall that I had had every other year, you know, getting ready to get ready for the school year. It's good I you wanted, were self-aware enough to see that. Yeah, I wanted to spend more time with the podcast and more time visiting farms and learning how to cook better. Mm -hmm. And it just didn't feel right. And then we had an opportunity. Oh, and on top of that, we were furloughed. Everybody was furloughed because in 2009, things were kind mm -hmm. of crashing. 
and budgets were slashed. Mm -hmm. So they told the teachers, we'll just take these long holidays, but you won't get paid for them. And on one of those holidays, it was October the 9th and 10th, something like that. They said, you know, we're not going to pay you, but you get a four-day weekend. And one of the farmers that I had been following was going to have a farm-to-table dinner at his farm. Mm -hmm. I thought, well, that's great. We can go support this farm and have a drive in the country, stay at a bed and breakfast. Uh, Then my husband had to leave, I think, that Sunday to go off on a business trip for a week. Mm -hmm. So it was just kind of good timing. So we did that, and we were out there in the country and there were cows mooing and there were roosters crowing and it was there were sheep in the field it was just very calm and peaceful and the food was very delicious and we just looked around there and at the bed at B&B and said wouldn't it be nice to live like this yes and that conversation before the weekend was up had evolved to well why can't we I love it. Why not? Now, mind you, I was 56 years old and my husband was 58 and we had no farming experience. (laughs) But why not? Why not? But we could learn. We've been to a lot of farm tours. We've been to farm conferences. We knew why people did what they did. We knew what they did. Uh And I just have always loved to eat animals. Remember that? Yeah. (laughs) so I looked into early retirement and my husband retired and he started a new business and we found land in Albert County Georgia about 11 acres and so the day I turned 57 uh, was my last day of teaching in 2010 Yeah. Happy birthday. (laughs) Yeah. So I I started learning. We started, you know, with one animal and then added another. But my question from the start was, first of all, nutrient-dense food because we were there for our health. Yeah. And also to preserve heritage livestock breeds. Mm. because I wanted animals but I wouldn't didn't want just your everyday chickens and sheep and pigs I wanted heritage breeds Mm -hmm. and I we had searched researched that for one of our podcasts and found the livestock conservancy and learned about heritage breed turkeys and that just really intrigued me because they're more nutrient rich they are more nutrient rich just like the tomatoes that you grow on your vine are more nutrient rich but I wanted I love what I liked about the heritage breeds is they're old-fashioned traditional breeds the kind your great-grandfather would have Mm -hmm. kept on the farm and they were developed for a specific niche and for a specific place and so they were they've been selected for hundreds of years to do certain jobs Mm -hmm. well in the 70s something happened in our agricultural system because we had an agriculture secretary named Earl Butts who said, get bigger, get out, mm-hmm. and helped push a movement to close down all the small family farms, turn them into corporate farms. Mm. And we started 
breeding just one breed of chicken and one breed of cows. Yeah, and that one makes breed sense. Of dairy. And, and it was really factory farming. Mm-hmm. It was using animals as widgets on an assembly line. And mm-hmm. there was not any of the diversity. And when and so the breeds actually started becoming extinct. And around the world, one livestock breed a month goes extinct. Wow, that's scary. Mm-hmm. But about the same time in the late 70s, the Livestock Conservancy started monitoring these animals. And since that time, no U.S. breed, no American breed has gone extinct mm-hmm. since that time. That's been over 40 years years. That's because there have been concerted efforts by conservative conservators who are doing sustainable farming to keep these breeds and specifically have heritage farms. Okay. So y'all what we did. And so which breeds did y'all grow? Like were you did you have turkeys and pigs and well I started out with rabbits. I'd heard about rabbits on a podcast and I tried to get John to to let us have them when we were in the city, but yeah. he, he wasn't going to go for it. So we started with rabbits because they're small and they're less expensive. And we got this land. It was just, it was pasture land, but it had never been, there had never been animals on it. Ah. It had just been mowed for hay. So they had just been depleting the soil and taking the grass off the land instead uh-huh. of enriching it. And we needed a bar. We needed barns. We needed shelters for the animals. We needed everything. So we yeah. kind of start from scratch. All we had was, I think, a barbed wire fence around the property. So we started building things and started researching, and everything was just a really big deal because yeah. we'd never done it before, and everything had to be researched, and it was a lot of money, and it was a big, um, you know we didn't really have anybody to bounce ideas off of. There was no Facebook yet. Yeah. (laughs) I think Facebook might've just been starting it with college kids. But you were probably doing like library research and. I was doing Yahoo groups. Okay. I don't know if you remember Yahoo groups. Vaguely. (laughs) (laughs) So there was a Yahoo group on meat rabbits and And then I started with sheep. And at first we thought we wanted a hair breed, which was just for meat because I wasn't interested in wool. But then I realized that the the sheep that I chose the first time, they weren't very hardy. They didn't do well in the South. And so I got this heritage breed that was a multi-purpose wool breed and could still be eaten for meat. And it it was called Gulf Coast Native Sheep. So you had to learn how to like shear sheep too? Well, I learned how to delegate. Yes. And I learned okay. how to find a good shear. Our first shear was not a good shear. <laughs> so everything was a big process. But I don't want to make this a big podcast about farming. But eventually, one of my rabbit customers taught me about American guinea hogs. And I said, what American getting what? And she told me about this little small black pig, and she really loves them. They're really friendly, and they're easy to take care of. And I had heard about them once before, but couldn't find much information about them. And so, talking to somebody who actually had them, 
that made an impression on me. Yeah. So I went back and started researching again, trying to find them. And I kept running into brick walls because the Livestock Conservancy had the best information anybody had about them. Mm-hmm. But it was just a couple of pages. And I, I wrote an email to Jeanette Berenger and she sent me her, her profile. And I realized that almost what everybody who had a website, which few people did back then, but if a farmer had a website and wrote anything about the guinea hog, it was just this very short blurb pulled from the Livestock Conservancy mm-hmm. source. And for your listeners, the guinea hog's a small black southern pig mm-hmm. and traditionally raised in backyards and they're sometimes called a yard pig and they can eat snakes and forage for some of their own food they love acorns wow they're really yard pig yeah it's a really nice it's a really nice breed and the pork is absolutely delicious you were asking about nutrient dense um the flavors in peaches when you get that perfect peach and it Mm -hmm. drips down your chin and the skin's all fuzzy and it has that wonderful tart taste Mm -hmm. that is the nutrients in there that's making it so sweet Mm -hmm. you can measure that in a plant even look it through a microscope something called the bricks level Mm. and if your soil is healthy the plant will be healthy and it will have the nutrients from the soil Mm mm-hmm so much of our farming, when they spray glyphosate and use chemical fertilizers, it doesn't get that high brick. Yeah, I was reading and, how many fewer nutrients, like a head of broccoli or a bunch of carrots, like how, and they, they actually can measure it. And it's usually at least 50% less than, I don't know, back in the 70s or maybe even before that. Mm-hmm. So we tr- we worked at getting our soil healthy and our animals healthy. And, and then you have that flavor in the food. Mm-hmm. And there's a website you can go to called Slow Food. Uh-huh. And on the Slow Food website, they have the Arc of Taste and they have heirloom vegetables and they have heritage meat listed okay. on the Arc of Taste. And the guinea hogs are on there. Yeah. So y'all started raising guinea hogs. So we started raising guinea hogs and that was in 2013. But like I said, you know, I had done original source research for my doctorate and I had Mm -hmm. done an interview project and I really loved interviewing people for my podcast. Mm -hmm. And so that next step was well, nobody's written a book that I can read and learn about these hogs, so I'll have to write the book because I really love want it. to know. I love that, Kathy. And I had no idea where that was going to take me, but it took me on a real big journey, and that got me from 2013 to 2018. And in the middle of that journey, I discovered some rare bloodlines of the guinea hogs that had not been really on anybody's radar and ended up bringing them into the registry so that they were recognized as purebred guinea hogs and could shore up the genetics 
And yeah. So my book, that ends up being in the middle of the book. So it's kind of like a little bit of a, um, like a, not a biography, but a little bit of a memoir in the middle yeah. of the book. It's a very personal, but I was talking about the interviews. I interviewed people. I just put it out to the world. I'm going to write a book. Yeah. And I need to talk to a bunch of people who used to breed guinea hogs a long time ago. Kathy, and- I love this. Wait, <laughs> so you decided you were going to become an expert on guinea hogs. And then that you did. I mean, that sort of paved the way to mm-hmm. you had the, I guess the, um, what's the word? Not authority. But anyway, you you could talk to these people and say, I'm writing a book. And you didn't exactly. really know if you were writing. a. I mean, you didn't have the book already done. It took six years till the book was born. Yeah. So I start, so people just started sending me leads and I talked to somebody and they'd say, oh, well, have you talked to so-and-so? And I say, no, spell their name and give me their contact number. And then I'd call so-and-so and I hire, I had a service that would record my phone conversations. And then I had a, um, and then I had a fundraiser to help raise money to write the book and people discovered me and and somebody offered to do my transcribing of interviews she said I'm a transcriber and she's still transcribing my interviews today wow. when I need them so I just had these piles and piles and piles of interviews and then one story would lead to another and and then I was getting triangulation. So one person would tell a story and then another person would tell a different version of the same story. And then mm-hmm. another person would tell a different version of the same story. After you get that much evidence, you know, from first, first-hand witnesses, you get patterns. Mm-hmm. And so eventually I never really, I didn't have a lot of time to do the writing. I would do the, the researching and I would do the interviewing and then I would do the transcribing, oh, just tons and tons and tons of information. I had no idea what to do with. But you were having a great time, I'm guessing, because I talked I, to you during that time and you were just like giddy with <laughs> doing I this. I did. I was real excited when it all came together because I was still getting interviews and still solving some mysteries. So let's see where I was. Uh 2018, 2017 was a really good year on the farm. Uh I spent spent the money to hire a farm manager. Nice. Came to to live on the farm. We had a room where we would keep interns and different things. I couldn't pay him much of a salary, but he really helped us get straight. Uh-huh. as far as keeping up with things and we had let go of the rabbits I think in 2017 and then 2000 I don't know at some point we got I let go of the rabbits to concentrate on the pigs and then I let go of the sheep to concentrate on the pigs the pigs trumped everything <laughs> they did and especially because of this big breeding program I was doing and so I, I really got burnout. I was really, you know, I was losing electrolytes out there in the field in the heat. Um, my body was just shutting down. 
and I was having some digestive issues that was causing me not to absorb fat properly. Uh. Well, you know, the nutrient density on the farm was revolving around vitamins A and vitamin D and mm -hmm. healthy fats, which I was getting plenty of, but my body wasn't using them. Interesting. And I think, you know, I felt that that summer I was thinking that I had Alzheimer's or something. I mean, I, there were times that I couldn't add two plus two. Huh. So again, working on my diet and everything else, but also realizing I was just doing too much. I was successful enough to just be running myself ragged. Mm -hmm. This is a good point that you can get burned out doing anything. I mean, even being on a farm, eating delicious food, doing something you're passionate about, but you can reach a point where your body is like, no, too much. And, the, and during that time, I guess it was around 2017, my son and his wife moved from Colorado back to Athens and had their first baby mm -hmm. and then their second baby. And even though we were only an hour away from each other, it was just too far for either of us to leave our comfort zone and go visit. Yeah. It was, uh, it was hard. So I decided that I, and, and John was not a farmer. He started yeah. another business and it was just too much for me. And, and with that farm manager leaving after a year and me start, and then we had flash floods and we had um, too much rain and too much mud and too mm -hmm. many pigs. And it just, one day I just, <laughs> After our family, we had a family get together uh, first of the year in 2018 and all the family there and I took my granddaughter out and she helped me feed the pigs and mm. I really wanted her to remember grandma had pigs. Yes. And, and then I realized, you know, this is enough, enough. I want to spend more time with my grandbabies you had an aha moment yeah and Athens had been home off and on since I was 18 and I wanted to come back here yeah so that was in 2018 and we ended up moving in here around July sold the farm in August and did you feel like this, did you have a, a, a deep knowing that this was the right move to sell the farm and move to Athens? Like you just kind of felt like it, it was right. It just felt right. And that's something that I've learned over the years is that when I have a little nudge and I don't listen to it, I regret it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even I, well, I have a little nudge to take a different route today. Mm. And, not, and then find out, you know, I'm stuck in traffic if, if I ignore it. Yeah. I tell myself, okay, next time you get a nudge, listen to it and think about it and, and follow it. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of my nudge. And so here we are back in Athens and we got some remodeling done. And then I sat down in October 2018 after we had just really got settled here and started putting my book together because I had plenty of a bit of material. I just needed to put it all together. But I was still getting leads, still doing 
interviews up until like seven days before the book was actually sent to the printer. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and so it's been very popular. And this, by the way, is the middle of International Heritage Breeds Week. Nice. We didn't plan that, but that's cool. Yeah. So you can look that up with the hashtag IHBW. And there's lot, lots of things going on at the Livestock Conservancy. And on Monday, there were stamps issued. The first stamps of 2021 that were issued were a series of 10 heritage breed animals that were professionally photographed. Wow. And they had a big ceremony Monday at the um, at George Washington's place, Mount Vernon. Yeah. And George Washington in air quotes was there with his <laughs> with his mammoth stock donkey, mammoth jack donkey. <laughs> Kathy, I love this. You it was a yeah, it was the breed that he developed. And so I tell people that these are the animals that they fed us, they clothed us, they pulled our wagons across the Oregon Trail. Mm -hmm. And they were the pride of George Washington and Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. So these are cultural heritage, just like our national parks and our historic monuments and our historic buildings mm -hmm. have heritage breeds and many of them are unique to the United States. Mm -hmm. So the American guinea hog is one of those. I love this. You're just so passionate about it and you were a special, I mean, a, a school teacher for special education and became curious about something and then that led to something else and pretty soon you're writing a book and you're an expert on it. <laughs> That's so you great. Just, yeah, and I've been going on podcast tours. So this has been really fun. And every stage of your life is different. And it just gets better. You know, life just yeah. gets better. What do you have on the books for your next chapter? Have you kind of thought of anything? Well, it's funny because there were certain things that I didn't find out and I made it really clear in my book, kind of hint, hint, if you're <laughs> out there, you know, let me know. And so I have readers that have been doing research for me, you know, from, from anything from calling people up and knocking on doors of people or to doing really deep internet searches. And so my book covers information from about the 40s or 50s on, but they've gone back and back and back to possibly the 1700s with Thomas Jefferson. Wow. So there may be some links with a guinea hog. There was a, a guinea hog that was called a guinea hog. It's different from today's guinea hog, but there's so much information out there now that Google Docs is, is gaining yeah. every book in the world. So that'll just be another monumental thing to yeah. take this hints that people are sending me and, and the leads and the clips and putting it together to see how the pig changed over different centuries because mm -hmm. people crossbreed pigs all the time yeah. and other animals. 
and they try to make them better. Yeah. So the pig has evolved and so have we. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. We're always evolving. It's never too late. I started farming the day I turned 57 years old. Yeah. And you've yeah. learned, you've figured out, you ask questions. Mm -hmm. What else, Kathy? Do you have any advice for people who are thinking that they're too old and, and, you know, I, I've been a whatever, a teacher, a nurse, I don't know how to do this. It's, if it's your passion, just follow it. It's never too late. And become a better podcaster. I joined Toastmasters. Yes. Which is a group that helps you to speak in public and try to be more fluent and be able to speak spontaneously, such as answering a question on a podcast. But I remembered that I had read a book by Douglas Tallamy called Nature's Best Hope. Mm -hmm. When I was living in the suburbs and, and it was talking about, you know, how native plants brought in the biodiversity of the insects. And of course, I was big on biodiversity with the livestock. And I thought, well, I could probably do this in my yard. It's not as big as a farm. And, mm -hmm. and I know I've done a farm. <laughs> you know, yeah. I designed a farm, I can design a yard. And I can hire people to take plants out for me. And I can mm -hmm. hire people to take plants in for me. And I can do the research to find out where to get the plants. And as soon as I made that decision, I started again, getting people coming to me and, and things popping up on my feed about mm -hmm. native plants. And, and I've gotten five certifications, including Connect to Protect, um, garden number 77 of the whole state of Georgia that has gotten recognized for Connect to Protect gardens. Wow. From, from the state botanical gardens. That's great. Well, I know people want to connect with you and read more about what you're up to. Is your website, um, is that something they could go to and find out Absolutely. more? Absolutely. My website is www.guineahogbooks.com and guinea is spelled G-U-I-N-E-A. I am at guineahogbooks on Instagram and Look I'm also at Cedar Springs Garden if you want to see my gardens on Instagram. I love it. And, and my book is Saving the Guinea Hogs, right? Saving the Guinea Hogs and my email is guineahogbooks at gmail.com awesome. because it's heritage breeds week and because this podcast is coming out soon um, i will ha have my books discounted in soft cover hard cover and ebook format ebook format if you buy them off my website they're always on amazon and barnes and noble and other places you find books yeah thank you so much kathy well, thank you. This has been a lot of fun, Hope. I really enjoyed it. That was awesome. Thank you, Kathy. All right, here's her take-home points. 
Number one, pay attention to your favorite childhood activities. Kathy loved being outside. She loved the idea of being a veterinarian and she always had pets. She also felt drawn towards special needs people because she was around deaf and blind people in her life. These interests appeared later in life when she got a degree in special education and then later she also bought a farm. Number two, watch for the physical manifestations of stress in your body. Kathy got hives during one of the most stressful periods of her life. Number three, when you look at things differently, things change. Kathy started imagining her life differently after discovering new spiritual teachers who taught her things like positive affirmations. Number four, notice when you're being held back and asked to play small. Kathy's principle wasn't in favor of her teaching methods for special needs kids because they went against the status quo and might result in decreased funding. Not everyone will support your growth. Number five, conflict in your life might not be a bad thing. It can help you pivot in a new direction, like when Kathy left her job and the unsupportive principle. Number six, when you have something you're passionate about, get curious. Kathy started a podcast talking to local farmers because she herself was interested in healthy local food. Number seven, identify what makes you mad or what gets you fired up. For Kathy, it was seeing what the school lunchroom served and seeing how this affected kids. She wanted to put healthy food into her body and educate others about the benefits of eating great food. Number eight, let yourself daydream by asking, wouldn't it be nice if, and then ask yourself, why not? This is what happened to Kathy when she and her husband went to the farm to table dinner. Number nine, remember, no one is an expert when they start. You can research anything online for free and start asking questions. Ask questions, join groups, delegate whatever it is you don't enjoy or things that require skills you don't have, like shearing sheep. Number 10, once you have a vision, throw it out there. Give voice to it. Kathy started telling people she was writing a book. People just showed up, giving her information, transcribing for her, offering stories and interviews about her book topic. Number 11, after a few years on the farm, Kathy's body was telling her again that it was too much. Burnout can happen even when it feels like your situation is idyllic. Number 12, pay attention when you feel a little nudge, even if it's a tiny nudge, like taking a different route to work. Otherwise, you might regret it. And lastly, we're always evolving. It is never too late. If it's your passion, follow it. See where it leads. Thanks for joining me on today's podcast. If you like this podcast and think someone else could benefit, please share it. I'd also love for you to write a review on your favorite podcast platform like Spotify or Apple. And lastly, if you would like more of the same, come over to my website, hopethepa.com. Thank y'all for listening.